Welcome to the Empathy Exchange Podcast, the show dedicated to helping seniors care staff and residents' families build relational connections based on trust, respect, and understanding as partners in care. To work together in the shared goal of providing the best possible quality of life and care for people living in seniors care, your residents and loved ones. So if you work in seniors care or you're a family member, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Deborah Bakti. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today with my two guests because we're going to be delving into the role of family councils in the long-term care sector. So let me start by introducing both of my guests. Sam Peck is the Executive Director of Family Councils Ontario, and she's passionate about helping people and groups achieve their goals. In her 15 years with Family Councils Ontario, she's supported thousands of family members and long-term care home staff to improve their work to achieve the best possible outcomes and meaningful impacts. In her role as Executive Director, she focuses on building and maintaining relationships with funders, stakeholders, and interconnected organizations to carry out activities that support FCO's mission and develop strategies that enable the organization to create positive change within the long-term care sector. Leanne Pelessier is the Client Services Manager with Family Councils Ontario, and she's been with FCO for two years. Leanne is passionate about making a difference and helping others, but most particularly those living, working, and family members in long-term care. She has 19 and a half years of experience of working in a long-term care home as a resident and family services coordinator, helping support residents and families as they transitioned into long-term care. Part of her role was being the staff liaison for the Homes Family Council, and her years of experience helped her to develop great skills in communicating with and supporting families, residents, and staff in long-term care. Sam and Leanne, welcome to the Empathy Exchange podcast. Thanks for having us. Good morning. Thank you, Deborah. So excited about this conversation. I've had the opportunity to work with both of you over the last few years. And the work that you and your organization do is, is nothing short of remarkable. But I, I want to start with just to set the table for our conversation today. And Sam, perhaps you can dive into this question, which is really to share what is the role of family council in long-term care homes in Ontario? Great, thanks. So the role of a family council is to provide families, and uh, so I use that term broadly, so any caregiver to a resident, whether it's biological family, family by marriage, family by choice, uh, to give families an opportunity to be involved in and contribute to the life of the long-term care home. It gives families a way to support each other, sort of give and receive peer support, stay up to date on what's happening in the home, issues affecting residents, caregivers, staff, and to work in partnership with the home to improve the quality of life and of living in the home for residents and the quality of the experience for caregivers uh, and for home team members, home staff. It's interesting in the work that I do, the number of, on both sides, families that aren't aware that the home has a family council 
And on the other side, sometimes staff, they don't really understand the role of family council and the benefits to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, because I'm sure that this isn't the first time that you've heard it, and a big part of the work that you do is is the awareness of the role and the impact and the function. Mm -hmm. So with that question, I'm just curious, what are some of the things that you've experienced with that gap? And how can we help families and staff to better understand the value and benefits of family council? Uh, sure, maybe I'll go first, Leanne, then you can jump in. I think the big misconception is that a family council is a complaint session. That is just an opportunity for caregivers to get together and complain about what's happening in the home that they don't like. And that's that's not true. Yes, processing concerns, working on areas that could be improved is important. It's an important part of a family council, but it's also that that peer support aspects and that learning and networking piece. And I think that's part of the, the disconnect um, that staff, home staff, don't always have a good handle on. And then if they don't have a good handle on the purpose of a council, the importance, I mean, how can you expect them to support new caregivers to join a council or to help caregivers start one? So I think there's that disconnect about what a council can do. And so then staff don't understand and families may not understand that it's more than just a place to process concerns and complaints. And what we try to do is to encourage people to see what, you know, the full role of a council is, the full benefits, so that they can be interested in starting or joining a family council. To add to that, um, what we've seen in the last three years, we know there's been like a blow up of, of the sector um, mm -hmm. and a lot of change. And we've seen um, a lack of trust, So, which is part of the disconnect. And what we're trying to do at, at Family Councils Ontario in the education and in the resources that we develop is to find ways to rebuild that trust. Um, and for family members and home administration and staff to come together because the end goal really is what's best for the residents and to improve quality of life and long-term care. And you have to have that collaboration. Um, this is something that I say, you know, at all my presentations without collaboration, you can't promote change. Um, everyone has to be on the same page. So in terms of our presentations and what we communicate with our family councils and when we meet with home staff is to build that trust is to have faith that everybody wants what's best for the residents. Um, we've developed a great resource, a guidance on family councils and, and home staff on how to collaborate. We changed the name of one of our presentations to why family councils matter so that family members understand the importance and to echo what Sam said, that it's not a complaint session. There's so much good that can come from, an, from a healthy and effective family council. So part of our goal is to nurture that and, and to shift the culture so that family members and home staff understand that the importance of that collaboration and the importance of having a family council within their home. I just want to pick up on what you said about the lack of trust. And so is it lack of trust that families have about the home as well as the home has a lack of trust in the families? And I'd also be 
to add on to that question is what do you think are the main contributors to that lack of trust? We've seen an unravel even before the pandemic. Things were starting to unravel even before then. And and as you said, with the 19 and a half years experience I have, I I was living it, working in a long-term care home. But the pandemic just shipped things to a whole new level. And so family members really were afraid because they couldn't come in. They didn't know what was going on. Um, That trust that they put in the home and in the staff to look after their loved ones, we know fell apart during the pandemic because no one knew what they were doing. And everyone was just trying to figure it out as we were going. And then when families were able to come back into the home, it was really about, you know, what's the new normal and how do we move forward with this? So it really is to rebuild that trust in the staff are doing the best that they can for my loved one with what they have to work with. Staff have to realize that families are, you know, going through a lot of change, they're suffering loss, they're grieving, um, you know, having to put that trust into basically strangers at the beginning to look after their loved one. And how can everyone, you know, come together with that common goal of ensuring that that resident has the best quality of life. It's like a reset. We need to reset so that everyone can be on the same path in in really improving and fostering those relationships to rebuild trust and to realize that in the end, everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants what's best for the resident. And that's where I see the sweet spot with family councils because you've got people who have already gone through the beginning part of that journey and have adjusted and uh, adapted. And they've got so much knowledge and resources to be able to help the newer families. And so it really is, how do we elevate the awareness? And Sam, I'll give you this question. Like when a family council is working well, and I'm sure that you've got lots of experiences to be able to share what makes it work well and what are the benefits that families and staff are able to get with a well-functioning family council? Yeah, so a well-functioning family council is a a beauty and a joy to behold. Um, And I think it really is founded in trust and knowledge. And by that, I mean so about knowledge that families have um, and council members have reasonable expectations of what the home can offer so really understanding what is currently possible within a home given the system that it operates in um, and what are reasonable aspirational goals Uh, we're not going to go from you know just shy of four hours of direct care to you know 18 hours of direct care overnight or anytime soon. But it is possible to have the quality of that care improve. And if families understand that, they can work with the home to come up with ideas. So a good family council, an effective council, the members are informed, they have reasonable expectations, um, and they have a trusting relationship with each other and with the home staff. And so what that looks like is I think to Leanne's point about building relationships is that if an administrator, if I'm an administrator, so this is a family council meeting, and I say, you know, I hear you on this issue, here's what we can do. Here's what's reasonable. 
here's why for you as council members to say, okay, I get that. I trust that you're telling me the truth. You're being honest. Um, I, you know, we can all trust that we want the same thing, which is for the care of this home to be excellent and for everyone to feel that they belong and are included. Um, so trust in each other that you're on the same side, you want the same thing. And with that has to come from, from having reasonable expectations and good information, not assuming the worst of each other, you know, assuming the administrator's hiding something or that the, you know, the council's gonna want the moon when I can offer them this instead. Uh, and so effective, well-run councils are well-structured. They trust their members to do the work that's needed to maintain the council. Um, they have positive and open communication with home leadership. Um, the home leadership respects the autonomy of the council, which is super important. Councils are autonomous groups in Ontario. They have powers under legislation. And so the home leadership understands that and they believe that a council can be a positive, can be a force for good and operates from that position, not one of suspicion or doubt or letting prior experiences with, you know, jalapeno family council members uh, taint their perception. But when a family council works well, it's trusting, they're informed, they've open communication, um, and they understand they're working towards the same goal of a vibrant and well, you know, high-functioning long-term care home. I would imagine that they would be an additional resource that the home can utilize because we know the reality of the system and the staffing levels and issues and challenges that you've got extra minds, hearts, and hands that can help out. Even when I think about the helping with onboarding new families or a new family that has come in with an unrealistic expectation, not realizing because they don't know what they don't know, and a family council member being able to say, okay, you know what, we let's just have a conversation and reset some of those expectations before it spirals out of control. And then next thing you know, it's a huge complaint and an escalation. Ooh. The flip side of that is, and I know that you've done some work with mediation and support when you've got a family council and a home leadership and staff that are butting heads. And so be curious just to talk a little bit about what do you see as those main themes where it's a not well functioning, or maybe you've got a different term for it, um, that contribute to it? Because I'm sure that there are some listeners working in long-term care that would put their hand up and say, I've got to tell you, our family council, mm -hmm. it's not working at all for us. And we would prefer to not even have a family council. Or you've got homes that they don't currently have a family council because losing members through COVID, and they're not really excited about setting up a new one. So that was a long-winded question, but um, <laughs> I don't know if Leanne, you want to you want to jump in on that one? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would love to. So we definitely do um, conflict resolution, um, and we do see lots of different levels of conflict. Um, we can see a family council uh, coming to us that um, doesn't have trust in the administration, or they feel the uh, the home is interfering. So as Sam said, that knowledge, um, being well informed on the powers of a family council, 
Speaking of powers of a family council, we do have, unfortunately, family members that literally take those words to a different height and push the level of, you know, powers of a family council that may be out of the realms of the regulation and the Long-Term Care um, Home Act, the Fixing Long-Term Care Act. So it's just to inform them. And the way we move forward with conflict resolution is, or we can see personality conflicts within the council that can also come to head with the home administration. So the way we proceed is myself and one of my colleagues are um, our, uh, Tiffany Fieron, um, who's our research and policy manager, who's also um, trained in conflict resolution. So we would meet with members of the family council and we would hear what they have to say. And then we would meet with the home administration and hear what they have to say. Then we bring everyone together. And when we bring everyone together, Tiffany and I have meetings where we write down recommendations based on what was shared and based on what we heard. And the recommendations aren't written in stone that the, the, the family council in the home can take it or leave it. Um, but we feel that the recommendations that we developed are the best things to move forward to start repairing that broken relationship based on what everyone said. Um, so, you know, we have seen some, some big successes with some of the conflict resolutions, uh, you know, that we've done in certain homes. Some take a little bit more work and that's okay as long as they get there. If we have to have a few more meetings or tweak the recommendations or, you know, meet with one person or another until they feel comfortable in moving forward, then that's what we're gonna do. But it, it, it varies um, uh, throughout the councils um, and through the homes. Um, but as we've already said this morning, like Sam said, we see homes that are reluctant to embrace a family council because of fear of being that complaint trap or looking that that's all they're gonna do is complain and, and bring forth concerns. And then we have family councils that don't trust you know, the home administration and don't believe anything they say and think that they're hiding things. So it's to be transparent. And that's something that we often see and that's part of our recommendations always is to have that transparency. The home should not be not sharing certain information with families because you should be transparent in what they're doing. And the same thing for the, the council. They shouldn't be afraid to post their minutes and, um, you know, have, uh, you know, anything of that could be damaging or extremely confidential in their minutes because it's something that should be transparent and be able to share with other family members in the home administration. So these are things that we recommend in order to help move through the conflict to try and get to the other side of, of, a, of a healthy relationship. If you'd like to learn more about the work that I do in providing staff training, family training, or if you're also looking to redesign your admission process, you can find me at debrabakti.com. And you can email me at debra@debrabakti.com, and all that information will be in the show notes. I think that's a huge value add that you offer to homes that not every home's aware of. Sometimes homes think that Family Councils Ontario is there exclusively to support the family councils. 
And yet when I've, and Leanne, you know, I've reached out to you, said I'm speaking with a client, they're having this challenge. And you and your team are able to go in and really create some transformation with the education that you can provide. And I recall once you and I did a joint presentation with a home and families were like, I had no idea. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's that I think that and I love how you use the word reset. There's a, how do we get the education into the home? But also sometimes there's a reset because you've got personality conflicts that maybe the administrator and the family council president that have gone head to head on some things. Or I've heard administrators say, well, the person running the council, they're motivated by their own personal agenda because their loved ones needs in the home. And, you know, and this is not new to you. How, how, how do you respond and help to support a dynamic that may be a little bit dysfunctional, but you're hoping it's not completely broken? Sam, do you want to jump in that one? Sure, I'll start. I think first, conflict exists in all sorts of relationships. And it's not as though, you know, caregivers or home staff walk into that door and become entirely neutral individuals. People bring their lived experience, positive and negative, their skill sets, their capacities, their personalities into a long-term care home, into that community. And so I think part of doing that education, that supporting that reset is level setting that conflict is going to happen. And the long-term care sector is in crisis. And that's heavy for people who are working in long-term care, who are caregiving, you know, people say, you know, there's, there's fear about their loved one moving into long-term care. Staff get that too, that they are working in a very challenging situation. So I think what we do is just trying to help everyone see each other's perspective and that conflict is going to happen, big and small, happens in all relationships, but then to, just educate people to say, you know, there are a lot of benefits to family involvement, family engagement in care, whether it's family council or something else that we can help them to develop to provide more and better ways to engage families. But it, it does have to go back to, to education and just sharing the promising practices, the really good examples of when things work really, really well. Um, you know, some of our board members have been heavily engaged in family councils, whether as a home staff or a caregiver for many years and have really wonderful examples of getting through conflict, of sharing information about, you know, here's what we can do together. So I think it is level setting, education, you know, sometimes just about the powers of a council, what are the boundaries there, and, you know, helping people understand that conflict isn't abnormal, but you can build a relationship and rebuild relationships if you approach it. And Leanne, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I totally agree with what Sam said in terms of, you know, having those conversations and finding opportunity um, to rebuild and also looking at root causes of approaches. Mm -hmm. So Deb, you talk about it in your book as well and your different flavors of your family members and that they don't know what they don't know. So to find out exactly um, what's going on with the family member and why they're reacting a certain way or they're approaching, um, you know, uh, as, in, a, in a really negative um, or a tactful way, 
Um, and to also to make families realize, like I've had conversations um, in my previous work experience with family members, and we need to appreciate their advocacy for their loved one because they're doing it because they care so much and they love them so much. And, and we appreciate that. And it's, it's important for homes to recognize that they are advocating because they want the absolute best for their loved one. But to also share with the family member that we can take that passion and that caring and that advocacy for your loved one and spread it out for the greater good of all the residents in your home. And how can the home support that? So instead of looking at it as a, you know, a family that's constantly complaining, that's never ha happy, um, that's always negative, what's the root cause? What is it that they don't know? What is it that they're looking for? Like Sam said previously, is it unrealistic expectations? How can we meet in the middle so that they feel, you know, comfortable um, with the care that's being provided? And how can they take that advocacy in order to do good for all the residents in the home? Well, and that's a good point. I think we've had this conversation that we can see each other as allies and not as adversaries. And when that adversarial approach, and I love what you said, Sam, about there's always going to be conflict in any kind of relationship. It's how we approach that conflict, the attitude we have toward it, um, and knowing that we are still bonded by that common goal of the best possible quality of life and care for the resident, the homes, uh, and the loved one. And sometimes it's hard to remember that when in the heat of the emotion and those jalapeno moments that happened because something unexpected happened and the family is feeling very reactive about it on top of all the systemic challenges that we have in our system, right? There's mm -hmm. so much that's outside of our control. The other thing I wanted to talk about was a trend as I'm understanding that some homes are struggling to recruit members onto the family council and that there are some families that are feeling intimidated about the scope and the work and they just don't have time for all of that. And I think, Leanne, you've been doing some creative work with helping homes to come up with other ways to recruit or entice new families to be able to join the council. Can you share a bit about that? Sure. Kathleen Edwards, our education manager, developed some great resources and checklists um, for recruitment that have been very um, helpful. Um, and it just to it's just helps the home or one interested family member that's wanting to get a council going on exactly what to do to pique that interest, to, to inform family members. And I think the biggest downfall is when you say a family council, what does that mean? What is it? Um, so, you know, family members may see posters up in the home or we have a family council, we meet on, nobody shows up because does anybody know exactly what a family council is and what it does? So that is one of the things um, when we do education or, or a meet um, and have consultations with the chair of a family council or a home staff that's looking at getting a family council up and running in their home is really inform families what it is. Talk about the good that can happen from having a, a, an effective uh, family council within your home. When I meet with the chair, I'll tell them, you know, share some of the successes, celebrate your your past successes of things that you've accomplished or goals that you've attained as a council. You know, organize an event and maybe you'll get family members that are interested that want to help support you know, that event. And while they're helping you support that event, you can say, oh, by the way, you know, we're part of the family council. 
we meet monthly. This is our meetings. Would you like to come? Um, one of the big pushes and some encourage for recruitment, um, and Deb, we always refer to um, things that you said in your book as well, is helping with that move-in support, helping with that transition into moving into long-term care, and having another family member with that lived experience. You and I have both gone through this in our journey by admitting loved ones into long-term care. And just having someone say, are you okay? Do you have any questions? Um, and having a family member support a new family member is to me the greatest way to improve your your membership um, because now you know you may get family members that want to do the same thing for a new family member moving in or they see the good and the positive change that can come from being part of an effective family council and then they'll want to join your meetings um, so just really is about telling people who you are what you do um, what a family council is, celebrate your successes and be available for your new family members moving in so that they know you exist in the home um, and that you're there to help support them. And I think, I mean, what I picked up from what you just shared was it's helping to create an emotional connection because we all Absolutely. know that this is a very emotional journey for families and most families will remember how they felt on that admission day. Uh, move in experience even for the for the next few weeks. And if they feel that it may be taking an hour, hour and a half to meet a new family or to make a phone call to say, hey, I'm on the with the council or I'm a family member here, just want to check and see how you're doing. Knowing that you can make an impact in that regard, uh, it just it it gives all the feels that we want to be able to create, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what gets people engaged. And I think the, you know, the personal stories, that we have that we can share is what really connects us. And Leanne, I'm wondering if you'd be open to sharing the story that I remember the first time you told me about it, the experience that you had when you were working at a long-term care home and some of those challenges uh, that you experienced and how it really transformed how you think and how you approach the family relationship. Would you be open to sharing that? Sure. Um, so um, as mentioned in my bio, uh, as a resident family services coordinator, that's what I did. I did admissions, I did tours, um, care conferences, helping support the family members in the home and the residents. And I have tons of education and experience. But then when it came time for my own personal journey with my parents, I had to admit my dad who had a very advanced um, form of dementia. Um, into long-term care, um, that proved to be extremely challenging. He was not admitted to the home that I worked in. He was admitted into the uh, city home uh, where I live. And that day is something that I'll never forget um, exactly how I felt. You know, my dad was in a, a shared room. Uh, he had, uh, you know, his partner, you know, uh, on the other side of the room with the curtain separating them. Uh, there was four different disciplines in the room. Um, a lot of the staff knew what I did for a living. So I guess they figured, well, she knows the ropes. We don't really have to go through it with her. And here, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign all the documents. What we both know, knowing that that's what I did every day, um, is 
that overwhelming amount of paperwork and information that has to be exchanged um, on that day of admission uh, is so overwhelming and stressful. But even though I knew all that, like I could, I knew it like the back of my hand, I knew none of it that day. That day I was a daughter going through the exact same thing and the exact feeling, the exact emotion that the family members that I helped support and, and you know, their loved one being admitted into a home that I worked in. And it was so overwhelming. I could hear my mom crying in the background. I could see my dad fidgeting, so lost in the room and wondering, you know, what's going on? Why am I here? And, you know, the different disciplinaries and the staff talking to me, I felt like I was underwater. Um, I could see them talk to me, but I couldn't really hear what they were saying. It was so emotional. And when I left the building, I sat in my car and cried for half an hour. Couldn't even drive. And I'm like, if I'm feeling this way and I have all this experience and all this education and all this knowledge, I cannot imagine how a family member that doesn't have all this feels and how extremely overwhelming that is. And that was a turning point for me um, in terms of we need to do better when we're welcoming new families and residents into long-term care. You can't explain the emotion and, and, and how that feeling of total loss and no control um, and a total change of life. Like all these things were going through my mind. Like my mom has to sell the family home. You know, they're going to be living in two different places. So, you know, we're going to have to separate our time between mom and dad and, you know, we got to make sure that dad gets the care that he needs and he's, you know, very restless and we got to make sure that, you know, that he's safe and he's good and that mom is safe and good. And, and it was just so overwhelming. And again, I come back to that. It would have been great if someone would have asked me how I was feeling and if I was okay, even though I had all this knowledge and this experience, the emotion is so real. Um, it's so important for family members to know that they're being supported, that they're heard, that there's some someone that gets what they're going through and they understand. Um, Cause that would have, that would have been a big change for me. Maybe I wouldn't have sat and cried for half an hour in a parking lot. I don't know. But then on my ride back to, you know, the long-term care home that I worked in, that was my goal. I vowed that I would do things differently when it came to admitting, um, you know, a, a resident and their, and their family member and that transition into long-term care to really be a better support for them and not so transactional as we talked about before, Deborah, about how admission day is like a checklist and it's so transactional. It needs to be more compassionate and, and more heartfelt, you know, for family members to feel a little bit of relief that it's okay and that they're doing the right thing for their loved one and that everything is going to be okay. What I find interesting is that families tend to feel alone in this, that they're the only ones that have gone through this. And yet you've got in some home hundreds of family members that also, too, and every journey is different. And that's why I think going back to the role of families and family counsel, it's this resource that's sometimes undertapped to be able to help with that onboarding families right from the start and families can be a part of it. And it doesn't take additional staff hours to be able to do that when you can rely on the family council and other families. Mm -hmm. 
Sam, I'm curious what you're most excited about creating next year in your role as executive director and with your team at Family Councils Ontario. Ooh, that's a good question. We've got a few really exciting projects on the go. One that Leanne uh, is leading. Um, and you know, as ED, I get to come up with brilliant, bold ideas and then have my team members uh, work on implementing them. But I'm lucky that my team is great. So I think what I'm most excited about is we're working on a resource on uh, basically what to expect in long-term care to help with some of that level setting uh, out uh, in the communities. So Leanne's working on that. We're already looking at our 2024 events to bring more families together to do some of that learning. But I'd say specifically in my role, because I do much of the government relations community stakeholder work is really identifying new partnerships that we can that we can build there are amazing organizations um, like fco bigger smaller out in the sector doing amazing work ontario caregiver organization uh, as one carp ottawa is a great partner the various long-term care home operators municipalities, others that we work with. So I think what I'm most excited about is working with our partners to get some of our work out there, you know, in a more strategic way, but also collecting stories. I think that, uh, and we've mentioned it a few times, is the power of knowing what another council or caregiver or home operator has tried and found effective so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time um, so that we can learn from each other and do more you know, do more knowledge exchange throughout the sector on what are really great ways to build and maintain effective councils improve relationships and develop you know even more ways to engage families in the life of the home and to provide that support, uh, whether it's uh, you know a home or a municipality that's got a really great transition program, like out in Oxford County, where they support the transition before, like long before the day of move-in to long-term care, or the city of Toronto's, um, and one of their homes runs a really great peer support program for families. So working with our partners means that we can learn about these ideas and help to spread them because family councils are wonderful and that will always be my bias for family engagement and care and supporting relationships. But we're also aware that there's a lot of really great things happening out in the sector that support good family and staff and resident relationships. So we really want to continue to to really spread those because if one home can do it on the resources that they have, we can help other homes do it too. Um, to help try new things, to support families, to support a healthy long-term care sector. And regardless of what your role is in, in long-term care, I think we can all agree that we want as Ontarians a really healthy, vibrant sector for residents for medical needs, for social well-being, for caregivers to be involved, and to make it a great place to work. And I think spreading 
those promising ideas uh, with our community partners and getting those stories is something that FCO is really well positioned to do and something I'm excited about uh, having a renewed effort on or towards in the new year. Thank you to you both for coming on to the Empathy Exchange podcast and as well just for the great work that you continue to do and the hearts that you have in because it takes a lot of heart to work in this sector and the difference that you're making is just so greatly appreciated. So thank you so much. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. And remember, there's power in your presence. So make your presence matter. Thank you.